0: Hey, my name is KD Wilson. Welcome to I Lead the Way, a podcast where our mission is to empower, inspire and uplift leaders in every single community by way of motivational moments, informative interviews and real life experiences. We're going to push the envelope in order to compel our listeners to lead the way no matter where they might find themselves in their life. You don't have to have a title to lead. You can lead with your life. And we know you were born on purpose, with purpose, and for a purpose. So let's live this thing out together. Yeah, We struggle a lot
1: with seeing people on a path that seems likely to end in their demise and with them not being receptive to feedback, right? It happens time and time again where see a colleague or a peer that's jumping in a way that makes it clear they're at a pretty high risk of dying and point it out. I'm never shy about pointing that out to people like, hey, like you're gonna die if you keep doing that.
2: To put it as shortly and simply as possible. Um, usually I try and pad it a little Hey, welcome, welcome to I Lead the Way, a podcast where ordinary people come to learn how to do extraordinary things. And I have a special treat for you today. Again, I don't typically have to read all people's bios, but this is one of those cases where I do so. Give me just a minute and and forgive me for looking down. So this man's completed over 1,200, not 120, but 1,200 safe base jumps. So we're starting with the kicker. You already know what that is mostly wingsuit flights in the Alps. Uh, he's the author of the book, Base. He podiumed at the 2015 Red Bull Aces competition, was top five in 2017 and was a 2016 wide open wingsuit distance champion. He's got 15 years, 15 you all, in the paragliding industry and whether it goes from flights, flight testing to manufacturing marketing distribution, he's a chief test pilot and co-designer of the elite wingsuit company called Squirrel. Please welcome, welcome my friend, Mr. Matt Gertz, man. Welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks, Kitty. Happy to be here. Thank you. For sure, man. So let's just dive right into it. Um, <laughs> no pun intended. Um, man, when it comes to what you do, you are, you you jump out of airplanes, too. Uh, you jump off of um, tall buildings, skyscrapers, what have you, anything along those lines. So get a parachute open for those listening. Um you're, you're a jumper, um, just super briefly, because people are gonna ask, how'd you kind of get into that? Um, and then I got some really intentional questions for you. Yeah, um, it, you know, the first time I saw it was a long time ago, it was
1: before we were using the internet much, was, you know, late nineties, I, I saw a picture of somebody doing it. And as soon as I saw that photo, it occurred to me that that was something I had to do. It wasn't like, there wasn't any hemming and hawing about it. it just, I was certain, that was my sport
2: I had to get into it it was just a matter of time wow how old were you then I think I was 20 okay so pretty early on in life for sure wow that's that's no joke man so again for those listening you probably can't see man but um Matt again is a part of the the skydiving Um, skydiving I I want to call it community if you will because it's very much a community and family Um, So. On this podcast, we always talk about what leadership looks like, and one of my philosophies is that it's hard to lead somebody else if you can't lead yourself first. Um, and you have to clearly tackle so many obstacles and hurdles to be able to get and put yourself into a place to do what you do consistently. Um, we'll get to the tech, you know, the, the technology piece of you know how you guys do what you do as far as manufacturing and all, but. Um, I think when most people consider skydiving, most people think about, you know, the wingsuits. It's one of those, wow, I could never, like I never in a million years, like you couldn't catch me like, there's no way in the world I would ever. But then you have that group of people like myself, like, okay, where do I sign up? You know, um, I think life and leadership go hand in hand when you're talking about pushing your limits and boundaries. Because when I look back at history, Anytime that something significant has been done, it's because somebody was willing to go outside of their comfort zone and step past the norm. Um, So what was your journey like when it came to, I know you mentioned earlier that when you saw it, you knew it, um, but what was your journey like building yourself up into the man that you are um, in terms of, I guess, stepping into pushing those boundaries and finding out what that next is for you? those first few steps
1: might seem sort of intimidating. Like you said, when you look at it, it seems kind of crazy. Like a lot of people look at it and say, not me ever, you know, never, never, won't do it too crazy. But if you wanna do it, if it at the same time seems interesting, I honestly have to say, just like to speak to the, the big picture about skydiving is it's easy, <laughs> it's deceptively easy. Um, the only barrier to entry really is money or time kind of the same thing. And if you take it step by step, it's actually not that nuts. You know, it's a repeatable normal sport that anybody can get into. It's just a question of deciding that you're going to take the first little tiny step. And for me, that's kind of how it worked. I was sure I needed to do it. So it was just a question of figuring out what step one You know, I didn't go into it thinking that I was going to be flying a wingsuit off of alpine cliffs. That actually wasn't really in my mind, right? Like in the very beginning, I just knew that I wanted to base jump. I knew I wanted to skydive. And so I didn't set a huge goal for myself. I set the goal of getting into the sport, right? And the first part of that first goal is making your first jump. So luckily, because it's such a well-established sport, those processes are there for us, right? Like it's, it's not that hard to go make your first skydive. Really, anybody can do it. You, anybody can do a tandem skydive almost when I say anybody, I mean really almost anybody. Like, there's certain physical limits, but they're pretty broad. So, um, yeah, it is achievable. Don't let yourself be put off by the fact that it seems crazy if you feel an attraction to
2: it. Yeah, well, what would you say? And again, because not everybody understands, um, maybe exactly what it is you do. Can you explain kind of briefly what's the difference between skydiving and base jumping? Yeah, excellent question. So,
1: skydiving. I would consider to be a sport, an industry, something that a lot of people can get into as relatively low barriers to entry and is kind of repeatable on a long timeline, something you can do for fun for you know, most of your life and probably not die. You know, Base jumping, on the other hand, base is an acronym. It stands for building, antenna, span, and earth. So building's obvious, antenna's obvious, span means bridge most of the time. And then E, Earth, means cliff most of the time, right? And it's the process of jumping from a fixed object, aka not an aircraft, something fixed to planet Earth, with a parachute, right? So in the most popular examples, you see people jumping from big mountain cliffs, wearing a wingsuit, flying through trees, gullies, whatever, and then opening their parachutes and landing. That's base jumping, specifically wingsuit base jumping in that case. You see people jumping from buildings downtown, landing in the street, jumping in a taxi cab and speeding away <laughs> you know, another without a wingsuit. So base jumping and skydiving are very closely related, but it's almost difficult to consider base jumping a sport. Right? It's more of an activity. I do refer to it as a sport and because I, I tend to treat it as one in terms of training and skill sets and outlook. But it's so dangerous and it's not... I don't really consider it to be naturally repeatable on a really long timeline, right? Like base jumping has such a high rate of accidents and fatalities that all indications, in my opinion, point to it being basically fatal on a long enough timeline because it's so unforgiving of error. So I I don't really think that, you know, base jumping is something that can be practiced safely, but it is so unforgiving. And we're so error prone as humans that my outlook on it Is it on a long enough timeline? It's probably going to kill you. So it's something that if you're interested in, you should probably only get into if you feel like you really need to. And you should think about beginning it with the end in mind, right? You should be thinking about your exit before you even start. Like, how long am I going to do this? Why am I doing it? How important is it to me? Do I fully understand the risks? And how am I going to quit? Because with base jumping, you have two choices. You can quit or you can die doing it. So the only two options once you begin. So skydiving, fun, sport, awesome. Do it for the rest of your life. Probably no problem. Base jumping, take it in smaller doses, take it more seriously, view it as something
2: separate. Yeah, man. Thank you for for that clarity. First of all, I didn't know that base actually stood for something. I assumed that it was just base meaning ground, you know, something that it does, but it plays in perfectly as far as, you know, the the definition of it behind it. Um, just that when I think of the the margin for error with videos I've seen and, you know, different things I've kind of researched, the margin for error with base jumping versus skydiving are like, they're almost polar opposites. Um, because like you said, the, the distance to the ground is considerably shorter. Um, the fact that either you're in a wingsuit or like you said, you're what is it? It's considered tandem, just jumping straight out without wingsuit, isn't that right? Generally, we refer to a non-wingsuit-based jump as just a slick jump.
1: If it's a low jump, usually it's referred to as a slider-off jump, which refers to a reefing system that slows the parachute opening. We take that off when we jump from low objects. Um, the parachute opens very quickly and immediately. So, yeah, it's basically, without a
2: wingsuit, we call it slick with a wingsuit, wingsuit base. Okay, and the difference there, again, for those that, that don't really understand that, is the wingsuit. If you think about um, the old school cartoons you see like a flying squirrel, um, that's pretty much what it is. You know, of course, just breaking it down for those that are listening, um, that it's the same operation of jumping, like you said, from a place that's very high up, but it allows you to create more distance instead of going descending straight down. Is that pretty much correct? Got
1: it. Great explanation. It's very much like a flying squirrel. It's the same concept. We just get a rudimentary amount of forward movement, thanks to the extra surface area and the shape that they form as wings. And there you go. We get to go a little bit further than you would if you were just a regular old meat bomb.
2: Now, how how fast can you get up to in a speed? Because that's something you know about because you've been in some of those competitions before. How how fast have you gone? Rather, you know, on a typical wingsuit skydive
1: or a typical wingsuit base jump, we're cruising at around 120 miles an hour. But you can go a lot faster if you really try, right? Like there's because we're gliders and because we're trading altitude for distance and we're trading altitude for airspeed with gravity as our engine, the faster you go through the air, generally, the faster you're going down, right? So if we want to fly further, it's going to be a slower
2: airspeed. If we want to fly faster, it's going to be a shorter distance, typically. That makes perfect sense. You absolutely have to factor in science into this thing. This isn't one of those Oh, well, look, it's something high. Let me jump off of it. You need to understand like the height, you know, like you said, the, the, so do, do things like, um, like, of course you you have storms and, and wind. um, that with, within aerodynamics, how much does that affect your ability to, to do what you do successfully? Cause I'm thinking again, just from, you see those YouTube videos says like, you know, the wow videos, you see a guy, you know our lady that's um, that that's wingsuiting, and they're turning and going through cliffs. And it's, I mean, the the GoPro, it looks like it's right next to their head, which is just absolutely bananas. You know, but with that, like you said, the margin of error is slim to none because it it's unforgiving. Earth is earth, like it it is what it is, um, and because our bodies are so fragile, the the likelihood that you would survive or even make it out of that thing unscathed and slim to none if you hit something. So what what things do you have to take into consideration as far as calculations are concerned, uh, weather-wise? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it's such a good question. I love the fact that your head went to weather
1: when you're thinking about margin, because that's so important. And it's something that a lot of people tend to underestimate, right? Like one of my, you know, personal missions has been trying to get people to think more about What micrometeorology means to us as base jumpers and wingsuit base jumpers, because we are, as you suspected, really strongly affected by just a little bit of wind. And it's not just wind, right? It's vertical movement in the atmosphere. There's all kinds of air that's going up and going down and blowing across the terrain for a wide variety of reasons. And so, yeah, conditions are critical. It's a conditioned sport. You know, if you think about surfing, you have to wait for the waves to be correct, in some places the tide needs to be right, there needs to be the right direction of wind or no wind, otherwise you can't really surf. And it's really good to think about base jumping and wingsuit base jumping in the same context. If the conditions aren't good, we can't do it or it's just unsafe, right? So we're looking for, you know, moments where there's a minimum amount of solar heating on the terrain that we're flying over where there's not wind in the atmosphere, you know, like the forecasted wind is not high. So generally speaking, if you, when you see videos of those people flying through tight spots in the mountains and, you know, just like you said, you know, the rock walls inches from their heads, which is not an exaggeration. That's in really calm conditions, hopefully. Right. So we're hiking up early in the morning. We're jumping on the not sunny, superheated face in the middle of summer. And we're choosing those calm, calm days with the minimum of vertical movement and the minimum of
2: wind in the atmosphere, for sure. Really important. Wow. I would consider uh, what would moisture in the air make a difference. Let's say it rained previously. You know, I know for myself, when you wake up in the morning, if it rains, the sun comes out. Now the air feels super thick. Now, I don't know, of course, how, how that calculates with altitude in consideration. But does that make a difference as well? Does density altitude is a factor and the humidity affects the density altitude.
1: For practical purposes for us in wingsuit base jumping, what I'd be looking out for in that situation would be, you know, some visibility changing with the, with the formation of, of clouds, right? So very often in the Alps in Europe or, you know, even here in the western United States in places that we jump, if there is moisture, the sun starts to heat it, there starts to become, you know, a little bit of convective heating. And we get clouds on the face, right? So you know, we're, we're trying to get up there and get off the mountain before those clouds become an issue. And yeah, visibility is another really
2: important part about conditions. It's a good point. Wow, that's, uh, that's fascinating, man. I didn't even, for whatever reason, I did exactly what most people probably do. It's really easy for us as, as humans to look at the result of something and not consider what it took to get there. You mentioned we're hiking, you know, <laughs> throughout the, the early morning. I think most people just see the videos of the person on the cliff, on the ledge, on the bridge, and they're ready to go. You didn't factor in the fact that this has been hours on end to get to where you're you know, trying to go. Um, so you, you really do have to plan out that entire thing top to bottom, I'm assuming. It's not just one of those, okay, that looks cool. Let's give it a shot. This is how, like you said, calculations are everything.
1: Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, you know, you can always follow somebody, follow a buddy, <laughs> but uh, you learn a lot more from you know understanding when you need to be there, how you're going to get there, and everything it takes to make that happen. And you know, the the difficulty of access in our sport ranges from riding a ski lift or a tram up during the summertime and walking just literally a few steps to the exit point and hopping off. You know, the easiest access you can possibly imagine. And then in some of those cases, even landing next to coffee, right? Or on the other end of the spectrum, there's a really technical alpine approach that might require some rock climbing, right? Or navigating through, you know, loose terrain, um, and that adds a lot of risk and it adds a lot of complication as well because you have to factor in the reality of being tired when you get there. You know, like you can't say that if this jump requires a certain percentage of your physical and mental ability. And you drain a significant percentage of that on the approach, you gotta be ready for that. So we're always trying to think about the approach. How will I feel when I get there? What's the most likely scenario? And you know, plan backwards from there. And you know, having an awareness of what it
2: takes to begin is really important. Yeah. That that's leadership 101. You know, that I think anytime we're going to step out into the unknown, um, I always try to think to myself, you know, not only what's the cost, but what am I willing to pay? You know, um, and it's like you said earlier that the difference between skydiving, um, which is still very technical and there's, it, it's awesome, but the difference between there and, you know, face jumping is longevity, uh, depending on how long you choose to be, you know, a part of the sport. But with it, you said something earlier that I wanted to catch and you said, you know, to the to the effect of, When someone's saying they want to come into this thing, you need to be certain, right? This isn't one of those like, okay, like I said a minute ago, this kind of pie in the sky type things. Let's really think through this um, if you're serious about it. And I would say get your ground under, get your purpose under. Purpose is the foundation of everything, right? So why you're doing what you're doing. And I think that whenever we get to a place where somebody can't talk you out um, or easily talk you out of what it is that you're pursuing. Your, your base is beginning to you know to come together um, have have you had times when you've kind of listened to someone that was wanting to come into the sport and just from the from the place of someone that's done it before also again, leadership equals mentorship in many cases um, have you had to have those conversations with people and say i'm I'm not sure if your headspace is right
1: definitely definitely i, I mean
2: Why? The why is so important,
1: right? Like, why do you want to do this? What are you here for? Do you know? And is it a good reason? It doesn't have to be a good reason, in my opinion, has to be a good enough reason for you. And that reason can only be good if you fully understand what, like you said, what's the cost? What am I actually going to put up to make this happen? And, you know, I, I like to help people understand that this sport, either them, it doesn't have to be your whole life for sure like you don't have to get into it and make it the whole rest of your life but you kind of have to give most of your life to it while you're doing it it makes a shitty closet sport you know it's not something that you want to do here and there a little bit sometimes just enough to get the facebook header image you know that's not going to have as good of an outcome most likely it's something that really deserves your full attention while you're doing it
2: yeah are you noticing um what are the age ranges i mean clearly it's something that that can be done you know by most, um, but are you noticing, have you noticed over the years an influx of younger people are wanting to step into it? Man, that's such a good question. We don't have
1: such good statistics in base jumping, more so in skydiving. And I think it's relatively stable, but it is skewing younger. Um, I would say that just anecdotally, if somebody's in their early twenties, they're a young jumper, right? Especially for base jumping. So for whatever reason, teenagers are super rare. Right. It's really rare, mostly because you can't skydive legally until you're 18, at least in the U.S. at USPA drop zones. Um, also, because, you know, it's something that takes a little bit of time uh, to figure out. So and also money. Right. You can have some money. The teenagers that we've seen in the sports so far typically have you know, funding from parents. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I would say that, you know, early 20s would be young. And then there's plenty of people in their late 30s and 40s for sure.
2: Wow. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I'm in my 30s, so I'm still good to go. <laughs> but um, and, and with that, it's a good segue into my next question for you. Kind of answered a little bit earlier, man. But, you know, wh- what do you say to the person that sees that thing? They want to pursue it, but they aren't quite sure. Because I think there's a healthy balance um, of people where you some people, like you said, you might not be in the right headspace. Um, what's your why? And then for others, you can see that, man, like I, you, you got the potential to do this thing. Like you, you can do it. You can go. What's that? Or have you come in contact with people that you just, you believed that they had great potential to do really well in it? And what was your advice to them um, to kind of get them to, to take that next step? To be sure.
1: There's no hurry, right? Like if, if you're looking at it, it's interesting, but you're not quite sure. I'd say wait until you're sure. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah. There's just no reason. I mean, you can play with skydiving a little bit if you want to. Why not go do a tandem? You know, if, if that's kind of if it's piquing your interest and you want to check it out, experience what you know terminal free fall is like jumping out of an airplane. Go do a tandem for sure. Check it out. But as far as like throwing yourself into the sport, wait till you're wait till you're certain. Maybe you will be certain after that first tandem. You know, maybe you will be certain the moment you arrive at the drop zone and you start smelling the jet fuel and seeing everybody in their cool equipment and start understanding, like, this is a sport and a community and something really rad, right? But, um, yeah, it's not something to force, right? It's not something to to push unless you really are, just in my opinion, right? I feel like the cost, the potential cost is too high to,
2: to get into it unless you're just feeling it for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love that. Man, I, I just thought of something that it's absolutely applicable um, here and definitely life lesson. I always give the, the analogy of a quarterback, you know, where the quarterback in the football game throws the ball, it's intercepted, and now he's looking at himself like, I just screwed up, you know. But he has to be able to hit the reset button and start over again, that very next play. He has to be able to gather himself, like let what happened go before and step back into this thing. Granted, it's very, very different, you know, but when in terms of bouncing back, because I'm sure either you or someone, you know, probably had some close calls or when something didn't go as planned or you had to, I mean, as they say, you know, fix the plane while you're flying it, Um, you know, how, how would you, how have you been able to reset in times when things didn't go as planned? And the backside of that is maybe what kind of advice would you give to someone that, it's feeling like, you know, man, this last thing really shook me up in life. That's
1: a good question. And honestly, I've never been asked that before, but I, there's two sides to that. First of all, on like the stress slash emotional side, you need to have a short memory, right? Because if that near miss or that bad experience or your proximity to a bad experience, right? If you're in the sport of base jumping very long, you're going to lose a friend you might be there to see it those things you need to have kind of a short memory in order to not psych yourself out and increase your risk on following jumps but you better not forget the lessons that those taught you which is kind of the opposite you need to remember those things so you know that's a that's a part of who tends to excel in the sport and who doesn't. A lot of people frequently get scared out of it. A lot of people psych themselves out of it. That's not a bad thing. It's, It's
0: probably healthy
1: to realize that, you know, it's not for you after what happened or after a certain realization. So part of handling the stress of previous experiences, I think is in a way having a short memory, just like the quarterback forgetting the bad play and getting his head back in the game immediately. And another part of it is you better not forget (laughs) <laughs> what it was that led to that or you will be repeating it probably with you know consequences that mean not getting away with it and a really big part of progressing in base jumping is not learning that things can go really badly and you still get away with it right like that's the wrong lesson to learn the right lesson to learn is that i won't be as lucky next time probably right? So if you're lucky enough to learn a lesson without dying, awesome. Be thankful. Remember what that lesson was and be sure you don't repeat it because you're unlikely to be lucky enough on the second go around.
2: Man, that's uh that offers up so much food for thought. Like so much food for thought where, like you said, you have it has to be a perfect cocktail of both almost. Where You got to have the short-term memory because I can't dwell on what happened. Otherwise it's going to screw up my ability to, to do what I need to do effectively and to do it to the best of my ability. But at the same time, I can't block that out completely and act as if it didn't happen because if I do, I'm being naive, which I now put myself in jeopardy of replicating or duplicating exactly what happened. Right. Like that's, um, that I think that's, that's so transferable and, business education relationships you know so many different things of course the difference there truly can be life or death you know but yeah. we can still take that same piece and put that into the life or death of your business the life or death of your you know um of your educational journey life or death of a relationship like there's so many um back and forth with that that's a very very valid point yeah i mean if i when i try and translate to that for per- my
1: personal life i would you know i come down on like trying to absorb the information and process it without taking it personally. Right. Like that's that's super important. If if you get negative feedback, if there's a difficult lesson, there's information there, but there's also emotional weight to it that can bog you down as you're moving forward. So I try to take the information, all right? Criticism, feedback, whatever it is, conflict, information I can use. The emotional difficulties, you know, maybe don't hang on to that quite so much. Try not to take it personally.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's something, of course, it's, it's super, I won't say touchy, but it's very um, heartfelt and meaningful. You know, like you said, just with with base jumping, the likelihood that you might unfortunately experience the loss of a friend one day, you know, is absolutely a possibility. Um, and, you know, I was a first responder. I was a police officer for uh, for some time. And that does kind of go hand in hand there. That there is a a strong possibility that someone you know, someone you work with, had lunch with, hung out with, you know, been to their house and vice versa, that that person may not come back from a call, you know, in the same way that it could be the jump on the perfect day and something just doesn't go right. Um, I know for me, because I have lost friends um, in that profession, that like you said, you know, you, for some people, they're they're not able to reset, you know, which can be a very healthy thing um, because you don't need to push aside uh, the fact that something very traumatic happened. Um, at the same time, there's also a piece, I think, depending on the relationship where not moving on, but remembering and still, still pressing forward and progressing is a form of honoring, you know, that person um, because you might know um, that they believed in you the same way you believed in them. They believed in the sport or the job or the profession this to the same degree that you did, maybe if not even more. Um, and I know for myself, man, the the what if regret factor of trying to own what happened to someone else can be a very dangerous thing. And I think that's something that I also try to get across whenever I'm doing, you know, leadership workshops in corporate America um, or, or things like that. You, you can only take credit for yourself um, unless there was something you directly did to influence um, or provoke what happened to someone else, in which case you still have to take ownership of that. But you have to to let people own their own journey in life, even if it doesn't turn out the way, you know, that that we would all hope. It would. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And we s- struggle a lot with first of all, I have to preface this was like,
1: your analogy was really generous because I always try to remind myself, the people around me that we're not saving the world. We're not helping anybody. We're doing something that's just really incredibly selfish. You know, we're risking our own lives for basically no reason. And the result of dying in this sport is really intense tragedy that you don't really understand. Like you don't understand how badly it's going to affect your family and friends until you see it happen to the friends and family of your peers, right? Once they're gone. So I got to preface it with, we're not saving the world, we're doing something really freaking selfish. But yeah, we struggle a lot with seeing people on a path that seems likely to end in their demise. And with them not being receptive to feedback, right? It happens time and time again, where we see a colleague or a peer that's jumping in a way that makes it clear, they're at a pretty high risk of dying and pointed out, I'm never shy about pointing that out to people. Like, Hey, like you're going to die if you keep doing that to put it as shortly and simply as possible. Um, usually I try and pat it a little with you're doing awesome. It's really sick the way you're flying, but I have to tell you that maybe you should think about what it means on a long enough timeline. And it's surprising how, surprising how often people don't listen. Mm. You know? And so then we come to what you just said. We have to allow them to own their life journey. Um, and that's hard. It's hard because you, you don't want them to be gone. And after they're gone, it's a mix of feeling like what the hell couldn't we have done something? Why didn't they listen? Should I have gotten through to them in a different way? And, as I get older, I, I try not to become cynical about it. I try to just accept that this is the way people are and we do need to let them go on their journey, as you put it, or however you said it, it was really good, better than that probably, um, and just accept it, right? Like it's not resignation. I'm not gonna give up trying to help people. Acceptance is not resignation, but I do accept that people
2: make these choices that they think are worth it to them. That's their choice. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense, man. Because like I said, I think that sometimes when people are in a position um, of friendship or like you said, I, I'm, I'm glad that you do what you do. Like you said, you if you see somebody, it's like, hey, man, I've been around long enough to know that that looks really cool right now, but right now is not going to be forever if you keep going down this road, you know, that's a, that's a very real thing. And I think that's also, again, a very big part of leadership, man, where some people don't want to hurt people's feelings. Or, you know, make them insecure. Maybe if I say this to them, then they'll have to think twice and that might cause them to do X, Y, and Z. Well, if I don't and something happens that I feel like I could have at least, at least I know I did my part to help influence them on the right path to this thing. And I don't, and it still turns out that way. Now I got to own the fact that I'm kicking myself in the behind because maybe it's, the, you never know, but it's the maybe. I would rather have tried and have gotten nothing from it than to have not tried at all and always wondered what could have been had I given it a shot and speaking to this person.
1: And I have a lot of respect for people who are able to transmit that feedback with kindness and generosity, right, to pad it, so to speak. I've always tried to do that as much as I can myself, you know, there's no reason to yell at somebody. <laughs> if you're yelling at somebody trying to help them, there's more than likely they're just gonna, you're, you'll get pushed back, you're not gonna get through to them. So I, I have a lot of respect for people that have the skill to Make those give the, that leadership feedback in a way that um you know is kind of generous. There's no reason to not be that way, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, yeah. I always say, I mean, there was um one of my former pastors, um, she said that rebuke, um, she said relationship without relation rebuke without relationship breeds rebellion. That's what she said. Right rebuke without relationship breeds rebellion. And it always stuck with me because you think about even me being a you know former police officer, I'd go up to a scene and I'm like, hey, man, like, let's stop doing this. You don't know me. So then they ah, they allow me to fight because I don't know you. You don't know me. Who are you to tell me what to do? Versus a friend or family, you know, comes up and says, hey, why are you doing that? The same same situation, but the relationship is different. So now right. that person listens to them versus listening to me, you know, um, but in some cases it doesn't matter. Like I don't care if I know you or not. If if you are in jeopardy of doing something that's gonna be detrimental to your life or affecting someone else, I'm gonna at least give it a shot and hope that you know you're willing to listen rather than blowing me off. Totally. So that that's and and I, I that makes me think about, you know, just our perspective. Um, which I kind of mentioned to you, you know, before we jumped on that when you're doing again what most people probably in the back of their dreams might've considered where they feel like they're free follow. You're doing it for fun. They're like, oh, I was in a dream, I was passing out. You know, but um, that, that, the thought process of flying high, you know, is often kind of um, meshed into what success sounds or looks like. And you know, I'd asked you previously um, prior to jumping on, what, what has base jumping and skydiving, cause you've done both, um, done to your perspective Of humanity has it made you appreciate um, the fragility, you know, of our life? Has it kind of opened you up to maybe the beauty of the world and what it has to offer? Like, what has what has your your sport kind of done to your mind? And I ask that question because I think a lot of people live in the same little bubble in the same little town. That's all they know, and when they go somewhere else, they're blown away. But there's so much more to life. So, what has that done to how you see life? Another great question. Um, I would say that first of all,
1: yes, it has definitely made me appreciate the fragility of life more than I think I would have otherwise, right? Like it's pointed out in really stark terms how easy it is to die um, and how short life can be, right? Which, you know, I try to let that give myself an appreciation more than a sense of urgency and desperation, <laughs> but it's hard because that, that appreciation means being present and enjoying the present moment as much as possible, which is really difficult if you've ever tried to do it. I think a lot of people have tried it. It's freaking hard. It's really easy to, to live in, with anticipation and our default condition is always worrying about the future and the past. So yeah, it's. It, I try to let it give me an appreciation for the present. Um, and in another way, you know, another side effect would be it has helped me with challenges, because I have thought to myself at times, "Because I've done that, I can do this." And that helps. You know it might sound cheesy, but there are moments where you can lean on something like that and say, "Hey, I, I've done this. I've you know, been to that place and jumped off that object, and it was not easy.
2: I can do this." That helps. Yeah. Man, that that's a that that's a great a, just a great statement altogether. Um, I know I'm going to forget, so I'm going to kind of break the break the momentum for a second because I I wanted to ask you before, what's the highest that you jump from as far as uh, base is concerned? I know jumping from plane to plane, you know, still so there's a difference there, but man, you you got to either be able to hike up, like you said, catch a you know catch something up to the top. What's the highest place you you jump from? Okay, so the
1: highest object in terms of there's altitude above sea level. And then there's the difference between the place where you jump off of and the place where you land. And I think that in my case, and I haven't jumped from the highest spot or, you know, jumped the furthest distance or anything, but just me personally, it would be an exit point on the North face of the Eiger in Switzerland, which somewhere around 10 or 11,000 feet above sea level, with a landing, you know, I can't remember offhand and I'm going to mess it up, but, you know, around 7,000 feet lower than that. So a two plus minutes of flying time
2: from the exit point to you know, opening the parachute over the course of a couple of miles. And there's so much beauty in that because, you know, oftentimes people, we, we dread the process um, because we only want the result so fast. But you just said you got two minutes of flight right? Two minutes, but you're preparing for this thing way longer than that. Like You're having to check your gear. You're having to, of course, train your muscles, uh, probably your breathing, all these different things you're having to do, which leads you up to a two minute experience, you know? And for some people, they might think, well, that's not worth it. I think you're missing the big picture. That's your thought process, you know, because if anything, it's the flip, you know, you 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 do something. It was, I think it was Bruce Lee that said it. He was like, "I'm not afraid of the man that's practiced, you know, um, a, a thousand kicks one time." He said, "I'm afraid of the man that's practiced one kick a thousand times, um, because that dude when he kicks you, something's gonna break." You know, but nobody wants to go through that process to get those those two minutes or to get that perfect kick. Um, what? What has that been like for you, the process of staying in it? I know you're a part of the manufacturing piece. You know, you're, you're the main you know, test pilot for your wingsuits, kind of jumping into, you know, what it is you do professionally. What's, what's been the driving force for you to be able to maintain and sustain what it is that you do or staying in the, in the sport? I think keeping an eye on why
1: we do it, why I like to do it. Um, you know, the why is really important. It's really fun. It is honestly a super, super fun thing. Um, I've moved away from base jumping as I've gotten older and had kids and stuff like that. But skydiving is still amazing and just a really wonderful experience to share with your friends. Um, And, you know, I I spent a lot of time in the office, but fortunately, through being a test pilot and being able to do that with my colleagues, I'm frequently reminded of how rad it is. And that kind of keeps me going, you know, like there are really good moments to my job. There's a lot of really boring stuff and some difficult challenges and stuff like that. But, you know, essentially the why is what keeps us in it which is a really amazing experience that we're so lucky to have right we're so fortunate we're so grateful and yeah it's it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to lose sight of it honestly you, you get reminded of it every time you jump
2: i bet man I'll, I'll experience it when my wife is listening to this podcast she's like no you won't i'm gonna do with one cup on you now it's matt's fault um <laughs> but um like you said the 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 beauty in seeing something that you've experienced before and knowing what it does. You know, life is really about experiences, man. Um, it, it's not just the grim side of things. It's the beautiful side of things where when I look at people that do, you know, um, like deep sea diving, you're exploring a, a space that most people in the world only know on the surface level, you know, fishing in the lake near a pond near your house. They don't know what it is to be in the depths, you know, and see like an abyss and what that's like flip side that is the air, you know, most people won't know what it is man, to feel weightless, you know, then also to have a wingsuit, which I'm assuming now gives you that same feeling and true flight. Um, And so, like you said, man, that it's almost like, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. once said that, you know, until a person has found uh, something worth dying for, they'd never, they're not fit to live. and of course, he was looking at it from more, you know, the civil rights and, and life value perspective. But nonetheless, I think there's still so much um, validity in that statement that transfers into life in general, that what are you doing, man, that brings you life every day? You know, when you wake up in the morning, what is it that you're pursuing? What do you see? And not only what do you see, man, but what do you feel so much so that you want to express that thing and and draw someone else into it? Look, look what I've seen, you know? You got to check this thing out. And I can only assume, man, that the feeling of flying, um, I always think of the Wright brothers, the feeling of flying, you know, for the first time, it, it had, to, had to be something else. It is. It's a lot, honestly,
1: like it is in dreams, I think. You know, it's, it's not that different. for <laughs> blasting to the atmosphere head first at 100 miles an hour. It's yeah, <laughs> a lot <laughs> at the risk of that being a boring answer right
2: yeah well man one of my favorite movies is Point Break um (laughs) of course old school Patrick Swayze man um and Keanu Reeves I used to watch the movies as a kid and I was just fascinated man just by the different things both the, the old one and the new one if you've seen them both you know um because there's some some base jumping and some things they do in there as well but um like you said man just the scenery you know being in a place being in the mountains, looking at a cliff and knowing that I know what's coming next. I know what I'm, what I'm prepared to do. And it's a life experience, man, probably like, like none other. Um, it really is, man.
1: That feeling of standing on the exit point after having walked through the mountains to get there and looking at the valley you're about to fly into is really special. That's, I will
2: never forget those moments. Wow. Well, man, my last question for you, my friend, um, and by the way, for those of you listening, if you are, uh, I won't say interested, but if, if it peaks, your, if it peaks that, that, that adrenaline rush side of you, and if you're, you're wondering, you know, how do I get into this thing? Um, man, one of the easiest places, of course, probably to look as far as wingsuits are uh, concerned is squirrel.ws, is that correct, Matt? Yeah, head there. And that's S-Q-R-L, right? Uh, it's
1: for if you just search squirrel wingsuits, you'll you know, arrive at our website pretty much immediately. It's the URL spelled the okay. S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L dot W-S. The
2: squirrel wings bring you right there. Right, man. Um, my last question for you, my friend, uh, I ask everybody this question and it's not something you got to have some, you know, super thought up thing. But I think that leadership, um, when I think everyone has the potential to influence somebody else. you're a human being and you're breathing, you are influencing someone in some way, shape, form, or fashion. So with that influence also comes a form of leadership. So how do you lead the way in your life? If someone were to look at you and say, you know what, man, Um, we're all flawed. We all make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. We're all trying to figure out our own junk. But man, one area of Matt's life that he is consistent in that I think is worth following after would be what?
1: I would say... Take what you do seriously, but don't take yourself too seriously, right? Like your mission, your purpose as seriously as you possibly can, but don't let it get to your head. Don't take yourself too seriously and don't let
2: criticism get you down. Use it, let it be fuel. I love it. I love it, man. People can find your book, uh, Base, can they find it on Amazon. Where, where can that be found at?
1: A great book of Base is um, I don't do Amazon just because, you know, kind of don't need to. It's niche and small. You know, they tend to, take a hefty chunk but basebook.com if you google base jump book or basebook.com you'll find it
2: all right well there you have it folks if you're interested if you want to know the ins and outs grab a book and then go show up uh where <laughs> matt is don't no, just go show up first read the book first but man thank you so much for your time dude you're absolutely awesome be safe in all that you do man but continue to lead the way my man thank you katie all right, man thanks a lot
0: Hey, it's KD here. Thanks so much for tuning in to I Lead the Way podcast. I hope you were able to bring home some really informative, helpful, and useful information that will absolutely transform your life. Be it in work, profession, education, family, no matter the case, we know that you have what it takes to be the absolute best version of yourself. So do me a favor, go ahead and like, subscribe, and share the message as we continue to lead the way together. See you on the next one.